Okay, that's that's pretty funny. What's pretty funny? Well, you did the countdown, and Thomas usually does that. I'm not putting that in the show. <laughs> that's, that's Thomas' thing. You put it in the show when Thomas does it, although Thomas would know because Thomas doesn't listen to the show. Right. I mean, he's never going to hear this. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. So do you, do you like the beard? Should I shave it? I like the beard. That's your you know comment? what they say is um, no shave November. Yeah, but I mean, I'm not a millennial or a hipster. So. Or a TV personality. That's the, those are the, the people who do it. Do TV personalities do that? Yep, they do. Hmm. Mm. Now, I mean, what do you think? Should I keep it or should I? I think you should keep it. You've got the beard. You've got the beard oil, which is very essential. You know, things aren't getting stuck in there. That's really important. Um, you've got the beard shampoo. All, all of these are things are important. If you're going to have a beard, you have to care for the beard. You can't just have a beard and not care for it. Well, I mean, <laughs> I'm the wrong person to talk about, like, having, you know, accessories because I also have the comb and all, you know, all that good stuff for it. But, but you see me more often than anyone else besides, you know, our kids. So I want to make sure I'm doing the right thing. Well, I mean, why, what are your concerns? Yeah, because a, a beard adds like 10 to 15 pounds, and it makes you look older, and I already look old as it is. Wait, who says this? Where, where are you gathering everybody, this information? Everybody, everybody says Everybody says this, okay. Yeah. Do, 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 I know you're not on Twitter as much as I am, but like, every, you know, everybody talks about that. Okay, I didn't know this. You didn't know that a beard adds 15 pounds? No, I knew that it added prestige. You think it adds prestige? Yes. Then why don't more politicians have beards? That's a good question, because they don't have prestige, I'm guessing. <laughs> Nor are they concerned with it. No. I mean, like, honestly, like, if, if a beard's such a big deal, like, why aren't we back in the 1880s where, you know, every politician had a beard? I think we're I mean, getting closer to that. Let alone, you know, germ theory and you don't want to cut yourself. But still, you know, like... <laughs> oh, I didn't think about those practical implications. Yeah, no. Oh. Oh. Yeah, germs. Yeah. I mean, you know. Listerine, Mr. Lister had a, had a good idea. Yeah. Well, okay, but, so here's, yeah. what, here's what my dad decided. So my dad had a mustache my entire life, right? So he and my mom were getting married, and he decided that he was going to shave the mustache. This was in 1972. And his reasoning was that he didn't want his kids to look at the pictures of their wedding and think, man, he looks weird with a mustache. Except he didn't shave the mustache ever, like since they got married. And so now we look at the pictures and we're like, oh, that's weird. He doesn't have a mustache. So it completely reversed his intentions. So did, did your dad, he had a beard before? No, mustache. Just a mustache. Just a But he shaved it. For the wedding. For the wedding. My, my dad did the and same thing. And hasn't shaved it since. Never, yeah, my, ever, right, ever. Right. My, my dad always had a I had a uh, beard growing up. That's another reason I, I kind of push against the beard. Ah, yes. I used to ask my dad, like, can, can you please shave? Well, you don't hey. want to live in the shadow of your dad's beard, right? Yeah, you know, and, I mean, we look alike and we go prematurely gray and all that stuff. It's like, you know, Ragnar and anyway. So um, my, uh, my my dad shaved his beard and he left, he left a mustache, but it was like a handlebar mustache for oh. the wedding. So you should see... Pictures of Terry and Susan. Wait, uh, this is this is like in the late seventies, right? Uh, yeah, like nineteen seventy-seven. So it's probably stylish. Yeah, but I mean, he looked like a, like a Bay City Roller slash like Miami Vice. No, dude, that's the eighties. Like, okay, God, late seventies. Such a weird. Late Miami 70s Vice is, is not seventies. Oh. No, <laughs> ah. you round up. No, you don't. There, there's a clear distinction. It, it happened in 1981 with David Bowie's Les Dance. Like, there, there's a clear distinction between the 1970s and 1980s. Mm. Michael Jackson's Thriller, 1983, kind of was like the... Like, Still wasn't alive. Still wasn't alive. No, no, that, that was like the, hey, the 80s are here now, boom. And then Ghostbusters came out and, and in 85, and that was it. It's not like now where everything's kind of fluid. 
Um, but yeah, back then, I mean, like a handlebar, handlebar mustache is, is one thing. But like, I, I used to look at these pictures of my dad and be like, damn, like he could pull off a handlebar mustache. That's pretty cool. Wait, are you, are you trying picture. to tell me in a subtle way that you're going to shave it into a handlebar mustache? Because I thought we were talking about a beard. <laughs> I, I used to wear a goatee. Like I, I would, I would do the goatee thing. You know, we're like, wait, you, this you is just, before we, this has to be before we met. Yeah. You've yeah. seen pictures of me with the goatee where, oh, you know, you shave the sides. And, yeah. Oh. I, I thought I looked good with the goatee. You, you did. Yeah. So I, I don't know. That, I never saw you in person with a goatee. But at that yeah, point, I haven't done that in 10 years. you were, you were what, mid twenties and you're trying to look a little bit older and more sophisticated. It made sense. No, I always look too old. Yeah, I don't know. I've never know. had that problem. So I'm thinking about it. Anyway, uh, hi, welcome to Thinking Religion. I'm Sam Harrelson, and unfortunately, Thomas is traveling tonight, so he's not going to be able to join us. Um, he had to he had to make a last-minute flight over to Tucson, Arizona. He's speaking at a conference there. Um, the University of Tucson asked him to come out and speak. So hope it goes well, Thomas. We're, we're pulling for you. Um, and in Thomas's place, we have... A low budget substitute. <laughs> <laughs> well, we Thomas and I we, we're going to do this. Substitute. <laughs> so, so when the University of Tucson reached out to Thomas and said, "Hey, we, we need you to come and, and speak on, um, you know, like like the the, the current situation of geopolitical uh, 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 situations with religion and, and politics," I and we thought, sex "Well, and sexuality in the first century compared to twenty first century." It's a comprehensive speech. Oh, so okay. we we thought, okay, well. You know, that that's a great thing. We can't skip that, even though, you know, it's our night to record. Thomas, you, you need to get on the plane and go. So right now, as we speak, Thomas is boarding. He he just texted me. Uh, he, he's boarding from Tallahassee all the way to, on the way to Tucson. He's got a, his glass of wine, and he's very excited. A glass so, of wine, it's whiskey. We all know it's whiskey. <laughs> we're, we're going back and forth. Well, no, it's complimentary. University of Tucson is famous for their, their wine. Oh, so we're going back and forth. <laughs> and it is wine. And we're like, well, who, who can we get on the show? We we have, prof, you know, Professor McBacon, who's been begging to get on the show. And he should know when he's going to be on the show since he's a Calvinist. And then we have all these other people who... He who should know. It's show. in the stars. God <laughs> will Calvinist. make a way when there seems to be no way. It, it's it's Reformation Week. Like, I mean, uh, of all times to have Professor McBacon on the show, like, this would be the week, right? If he provides 95 reasons why he should be on the oh, I got 99 problems in Lutheran. <laughs> so, and some um, loof balloons, too. God, you're so German. So we, we went back and forth, and, and then we decided, you know what, Let, let's ask uh, Mariana. So my partner, Mariana, is on the show. So hello, Mariana. Oh, hey, how's it going? Have, have we... Have you and I done? We we've done one of these. No, you know together. what? You know it's been since you lived in Spartanburg. That's the last time you and I did one. That's the last thinking religion that we've done together. Yes. Now I have made brief appearances in order to back Thomas up that indeed this uh, fundamentalist environment and lifestyle did exist because at times it's unbelievable to you, but. Uh, no, it's never been just me and you. Oh, and then there was the epic thinking religion that had me, you, Thomas, and Trinity on it. Yeah, that, that was a fun foursome. That was in Columbia, too. Um, oh, yeah, that was. That's right, because we were, we were living elsewhere. Yeah, Yeah, remember? And there, it, it, we were all around a, a square tall table or something. Yeah, yeah, their, their dining room table is tall. Yeah. wonder what that's about. So that was, uh, they're tall. They're tall people. Well, Trinity's tall. Thomas is short. Cool. You, you didn't yeah, know that. Thomas, Thomas is like, no, Thomas is like five foot two. He's like not five, foot five foot two. Do not yes, believe him. Yes, he he's he's five foot two. No, we used to joke on. We used to call him a uh, little Thomas in seminary. Oh you, my you didn't goodness. Know that. No, because I wasn't there in seminary with you. I know that's what I'm saying. You didn't know that. You so. know, we never we have never taken a class together. Well, no, because you're like 10 years younger than us. So is Thomas. Thomas and I are the same age. No, that's not true at all. Two years. That's pretty much That's the a big same. difference. Uh. That, that's like a millennial generation. All right, so... Um, so here anyways, the... here, here I am substituting for Thomas in his absence. Last minute substitute. Not last minute. We, we, we 
went over this, and Thomas and I were, were direct messaging all all evening and trying to figure out, okay, well, who can replace Thomas? Because uh, we have to get a show out this week. I think you mean Dr. Whitley. Dr. Whitley. Um, we have to get a show out this week. Professor Whitley. Who can help us at the last who can minute? Help us? No, In we, the have, final we have thousands hour. of people who listen, and, and I, I swear, like if I, if I were to put out a call to arms on Twitter and say, hey, uh, you know what? We are the Foo Fighters, and and Dave Grohl just broke his leg, and we're gonna need somebody to come on and, and play lead guitar and and sing uh, Everlong. Who, who can do that for us? <laughs> we would have a ton of people say like, I I volunteer, you know, like like Jennifer Lawrence style, not not with the anyway. So, speaking so, of Thomas and Jennifer Lawrence, um, tell us about your uh, what are you up to these days? Give it give us some uh, give us some de- deets, some details as as the people on the show like to say. Yeah, so because the last time that I was on the show, I was a second-year seminary student. I was not very far along. Um, I was doubting faith and God and the existence of God, which is a good place to be halfway through your seminary career. Now I'm the pastor of a church start, a cooperative Baptist, and we're about to celebrate our 24th year here coming up. It actually coincides with All Saints Sunday, so it's going to be an interesting worship service. And then I've recently started working for Lutheran Seminary here in Columbia, and I'm working for the Academy of Faith and Leadership. And so we do continuing education and learning opportunities for Lutheran clergy, but also for people who are just in the Midlands in Columbia or South Carolina or neighboring states, too, who want to learn more about church or worship, or preaching, or anything really having to do with faith and the current context that we're living in. So that's a fun addition. It's That's pretty new. I've been there, I think today was my 13th day. So it's been a really fun transition to get back into the world of academia to learn about Lutheranism. Um, I've gotten some mad points because I studied in Germany for a little bit, and I... I Attended an evangelical church. Evangelisch. It's in in German. It's the Protestants. And Protestants are Lutheran in Germany. And so I've gotten some points for actually having worshipped in a true Lutheran church because it was all in German. Um, but I have not yet converted to Lutheranism. Might happen, but has not yet. <laughs> That's funny because I uh, had a conversation at our, our, at our fall festival. Um, Wait, I, not I, ours. You mean their churches? Well, you know, the, the church's fall festival that we, where we participate. participate. And, I, and I, I was I was telling someone there that like, oh yeah, you know, my best friend's a Lutheran priest, and uh, not not Thomas. Thomas is my other best friend. <laughs> we're, we're polyamorous. We were we're poly poly friend friendiest. I don't. I don't he You're the Trinity. The is that what you mean? Oh wait, no, that's Thomas's wife. Uh, yeah, let, let's not even get into that. Um, <laughs> anyway, so it gets complicated. Uh, it gets complicated. Yes, yes. Uh, hashtag. Uh, so, so anyway, uh, we were talking about something, and, and he was telling me how he became a, a cooperative Baptist fellowship member. And I was like, yeah, you know, one of one of my good friends is a uh, Lutheran priest, and he's always trying to get me to go ELCA. He's like, oh yeah, it's not that big of a difference. And I was like, well, it's like, you yeah. know, it's, <laughs> it's a big. But, I, I, I see what you're saying. And uh, anyway, so I thought that was funny. So, okay. Y- mm-hmm. You were doubting the existence of God? And that was the last time I was on the show. That was at least five years ago. Okay, so has that changed? I, like, like I feel like you're going to use this opportunity to get down to my belief, my creed, if you will. That, thinking so Sam religion is the name of the yeah, show. You know, know what you're signing up for. No, I didn't. <laughs> I mean, kind of. Okay, so we should probably um, be a little bit real with people in that we've had many discussions about religion. We talk all the time about the changing dynamics of church. We talk about trends. We talk about marketing in church. Like This is what Sam and I talk about over dinner at night after the baby goes to bed. And so the other – how? when was it? Help me remember – it was probably a month ago. You looked at me at some point and you're like, actually, I really have no idea what you believe on that. 
because we talk about all these things, but we don't often talk about our personal beliefs. And yeah, uh, sometimes we do. I, I think it was like the Trinity or something. Not not the it? Trinity Whitley, but you know Trinity. <laughs> not the Trinity Whitley, who we really like, both of us. That's I mean we agree with that totally. Oh no, I know what it was. It was because of the Good Place, the Netflix show we've been watching, oh, and yeah, we were talking yeah. about the afterlife. And we divulged into details about the Egyptian um, weighing the heart next to a feather. And then something else, too. What? The Hebrew belief of... Shale. Shale. Yeah, we talked about that. And then you looked at me and you were like, wait a second. What do you believe about that? Because... Wait, are you not going to back me up? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I'm, I'm listening. <laughs> You're just waiting because I didn't answer it then. <laughs> I'm just along for the ride. <laughs> so, it's your show. I'm just listening. The Good Place is a Netflix show, and it talks about the afterlife and really talks about what it means to earn a place in the good place versus the bad place. It also has all of these interesting remarks about who's in the good place and who's in the bad place. Obviously, they're not using the terms heaven and hell, but that's the implication that we all have this idea, especially in American cultural Christianity, that there is an afterlife and that there is a good afterlife and that there is a bad afterlife. Well, so part of our church, we have a youth group and we've been exploring afterlife or the belief in eternal life in that youth group space. And we have some people who believe in the afterlife and some people who don't. <gasps> oh, I know. Shocking. You know, and there was one uh, student who asked, well, what if this, what we're living now, is hell? And I suggested, well, what if this is heaven? And she was, she responded, well, I hope not. I hope not. <laughs> and I said, well, what if it's heaven if we continue to work towards it being something good and what if it's hell if we refuse to participate in creating something good maybe oh, what's the what's the song oh ooh, baby you know what that's worth who said heaven's a place on earth you don't know that song of course i don't they say in they say in heaven love comes love comes first ah i'm going to i'm going to put myself on mute and get google can continue to to expound Sorry. <laughs> so the way I grew up, and I know the way Thomas grew up, is that you confessed that you believed in Jesus Christ as God's only son, and that by expressing your belief and also being baptized, obviously by immersion, because that's the only way to be baptized, then you secured your, yourself a place in heaven for eternal. You, you secured yourself not only a eternal life but also eternal life in a place that had everything you could wish for and hope for and what I realized later in life is that that concentration or belief in confessing Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior meant that you really didn't care about what went on here. Because if you have a place securely in the good afterlife, heaven, then why does it matter what you do here on earth? And so if you confess your sins once and you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and you sin again, then it doesn't matter because you've already made that really important decision. Well, so the result that this had on many of us is that there were rededications of your life. Did you ever rededicate your life? You grew uh, up Baptist too. Yeah, but I, I didn't start going to church until I was 13. Oh, so the first time took for you. It, it took, but um, I, I walked the aisle many times to, yep. to do like that. But Wait, you we, walked the aisle multiple times? I did, but we weren't Calvinist, which you're Calvinist. So me and McBacon, th apparently. Yeah. At least so I have the idea, <laughs> hashtag. So the idea of like 
I mean, what, what, what you're just talking about, like it, you have to, you know, not only like make sure that you check all the check boxes, but make sure that you're on the right side of history, basically. No, you just have to make one right choice. No, you have to be born into the right family. I mean, it's like America, you know. It's like, no, oh, no, gosh, no. I'm, we I'm born on third that. base. Anybody what? could could have yes. a chance. No, that's not true at all. You're you're Calvinist, like you where you the church call you grew me up in. Calvinist. I, I mean, not now, but I'm saying the church you grew up in is very Calvinistic. Yes, but you walk the aisle. That's the same thing I did. You walk the aisle I, I, to say I, that I, I you wanted re- to become a Christian, right? Well, yeah, but then and then you were dunked. And then I was dunked when I was 13, along mm-hmm. with my father, who was a Methodist, who got re-dunked. Um, well, sure, because baptism as an infant does not count. We all know this. <laughs> Poor Ben. So when, you know, that you know that happened, I still felt that call. So, you know, like the preacher would get up there and preach, and, and me being a, a young and, you know, influential young person, I, w- I would walk the aisle and go up to the, the altar and, and kneel down and pray. Yeah, but that's just praying. You never rededicated your life. No, no, because, uh, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say once saved, always saved is a major tenet of Protestantism, but, you know, kind of is. But for you Calvinists, like, is there a need to experience that? Like, that's what I've always been confused about with Baptist Calvinists. I don't understand your question, but okay, I will so, tell so, you my. So Calvin, I will tell you, well, let me tell you my experience. Okay, so I was I walked the aisle when I was seven. Jesus. Yes, with Jesus did, did you feel, into Jesus's arms. That's where I walked to, and then I was baptized by At my seven. grandfather. Yeah, who was a Baptist minister on Valentine's Day. Did Did you? <laughs> that explains it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not laughing. Well, a little bit you are. So mm-hmm. then I got to the did, age. Did you? Oh, where hold on, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. I'm gonna speak over you as a white male. Did you feel pressure to walk the aisle when you were seven? Absolutely. My parents were very concerned about my soul. At seven. Because I had been potty trained. I don't know what the age of accountability is, but they were that- worried about it. And so when I got to be a middle schooler or a high schooler, I was like, oh wait, this. You know, I made this decision when I was seven, but I didn't really know what that meant. And so I rededicated my life being like, hey, I have more consciousness. You rededicated your life as a middle schooler? Yes. Really? Of course I did. But I didn't do it quite as many times as some of my friends. So, you know, so they... it even got to the point in our youth group where some people who were baptized as children said – they did it. They were – oh, I don't know how to describe this in a way that other people will understand if you haven't been in this experience or this community. Um, Elizabeth, my friend Elizabeth Kaufman would completely understand this. And so Elizabeth is for you. But she was, so, she was a Methodist. It doesn't matter. She would still understand. <laughs> so it got to the point where there were some people in our in our youth group – now I'm dropping things and throwing things because – No, I hear that. Uh, I'll, sorry. I'll let that out. Everything in the show is in the show. It's okay. <laughs> so, Thomas and I are professionals. I know. I know. And he's got it a little more together than <laughs> I do. So. Right. Sorry. Cheap substitute. We already established that. Um, so. No, I was coughing too. Anyway. Tom, Thomas costs a lot on the show and I have to edit that out. Sorry to <laughs> you. So it got to the point where some teenagers in our youth group would give a testimony where they weren't true Christians before, and now they were true Christians. This is like how important it was to make a confession of faith in our faith community. But here's the thing. After you made the confession of faith, like what else is there really to do? Like that's the most important decision. So what else can you come before the church and really announce? Unless you announce a call to ministry, but you can only do that if you're a male. And so for so, us so, females, there's on. nothing else you can do. Back it up. So, so these people that would come and, and say that they weren't being true Christians, had they already they'd already been dunked and oh yeah confirmed and yes, but they weren't being true Christians, so they would rededicate their lives. Did anybody do like and re-dunkings? they were still like sixteen or seventeen? Oh yeah, we dunked anybody who wanted to be dunked. D- did First you get time, re-dunked? second time? No, no, no. I never got redunked. So that that's the uh, kind of weird thing. Like once saved, always saved, is is a big part of Baptist life. 
Yes, but if you don't have these personal testimonies of transformation, then how is your faith community going to survive if that's the main emphasis? Like, why does it have to be about a, a, an act like like that of a sacrament? Like, why, why can't because you just say— Because that's the most inter- important thing, to have your soul saved for eternity. Yeah, it's like liking your own post on Facebook, though. Or contributing to a 401k. Like, I don't, yeah. So here's <laughs> the thing. Thing. <laughs> so here's the thing is like, once you make bank, and that's like, all right, that's secure. Like, I got the after like lockdown. Like, I know where I'm going. I'm going to the good place. It, it's like cashing out of your 401k and then, and then taking the money and going to Vegas, maybe, or, and or going to a church and saying, I'm, I'm going to reinvest my 401k. Exactly. So why does it matter what you spend your money on or how you spend your time? Because let's be honest, you've made the most important decision. Like you're good. There's nothing else to do. So needless so, so to do say, you, there's do you approve a bit... of that? Do you approve of that when, when young people, uh, feel the need to rededicate themselves like that? Oh, I just had this discussion and I was like, um, I think maybe we don't need to rebaptize you. I think that you're just growing in your relationship and you have a better understanding. And I understand that you want to mark that in some way, but we don't have to rebaptize you to remember that, right? Let's think of some other things that we could do <laughs> to remember that. So this is um kind of where I found the disconnect later in life is because I went and studied to be a teacher and then I came back to the city that I grew up in and I taught as a public school teacher, which was my first life, my first profession. And I found all of these kids who were starving to death and had really terrible living situations. In some cases they were, there was one bed for, you know, six to seven people to sleep on. And I realized, you know, maybe if, maybe our emphasis on making sure that everybody has a place in heaven and everybody has eternal life isn't perhaps the most important thing. Perhaps the most important thing is really feeding and helping the people who are like dying and starving around us. And so that's where I really began my theological crisis of hey, maybe evangelism isn't the most important thing in the world. Maybe being a Christian is really more important. And then we can worry about the afterlife a little bit later. Because, see, it creates this kind of dual reality in that, oh, well, you know, we're going, headed towards uh, the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God is going to be a place where there's no suffering, and there's no pain, and we're going to be eternally rejoicing ever at the great feast table of God. Well, if you're constantly concerned about that, or not concerned about it, but if you have that security, then it doesn't really matter how you treat people here on earth, right? So your main goal in interacting with people is to get them to make the same decision that you have been so that they can be with you in eternal life. But see, if somebody's asking you for money or if it's asking you for food and you're giving them the invitation to eternal life, then there's going to be a disconnect because you're living in a reality that's only concerned about the afterlife and they're living in a reality where they're hungry. Yeah, it's it's kind of the whole... Like, don't talk to me about Jesus until my my stomach is full. Right. So, okay, so... So that's where I found the disconnect. And I was like, um, I grew up my whole life thinking that the only reason that you were friends with people outside your church was to evangelize them, right? Right. So so would you you consider yourself an evangelical? No. You and Thomas have talked about this before. I don't know if I can use that word because it's so tainted for me. Because, you know, um, in our new members class, we were taught evangelism, evangelistic tactics, right? So we were taught how to present the gospel. We were taught the Roman road. No, no, no. Don't, don't say right. Like, explain what, the, <laughs> explain what that means. Because, I, I, I mean, I grew up Southern Baptist. You grew up Southern Baptist, but I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> so, so what is this Roman road? Like, explain this stuff as you... Laid out, and then and, and I then, have put a mental block on it. Okay, I will try to. Um, okay, well, so we're going to that. <laughs> beginning in middle school, or in the new members class, like we were taught how to tell other people about Jesus, right? So you had 
um, these bracelets, the salvation bracelets, and we wore those, and those had different colors, and the different colors mean, meant different things, so black meant once I was um, lost in sin, and then white, Jesus washed me white as <laughs> clean, man, where's Thomas, he would back me up on this, I know he would, and then the green stood, oh, wait, oh, man, see, I already messed it up, so the red stood for Jesus's blood that um, offered you cleansing and a new life, which was white. And then green, you grew in Jesus through your life. And then gold, and these were little tiny beads, right, on little leather straps. And then your gold meant that you would live eternally on the streets of gold in heaven. And so you would wear these bracelets that just had different colors in the hopes that someone would ask, oh, that's a nice bracelet. What does it mean? And, and then you would give them the plan of salvation. You didn't okay. do this in vacation Bible school? No. Did that what did you? Work? What did you do in vacation Bible school? I, I, I mean, honestly, we played like basketball. <laughs> and What? I, I grew up in a, in, a, in a different world. So... Oh, did that ever work? Like, did anyone ever accost you and say, hey, that's a nice bracelet, little girl? Like, what what does that mean? Can you tell me about the plan of salvation? No, they didn't accost me. But, yes, they asked me what the bracelet meant. I mean, it was so, middle So you school. had friends who asked you that? Sure. And did you ever share the plan, plan of salvation with them? Yes. And did they go to communities of faith? Yeah. They were just different denominations, which. Which, I mean, that's a. The opportunity to save someone because if they're absolutely Methodist, because good gracious if they're Episcopalian they're going to be confirmed oh god Episcopalians god they're they're just you know <laughs> they don't go to church they're really close to Catholics. what what do they believe in they're they're just drinking all day <laughs> even the twelve year olds yeah they they give them wine like oh that is true no 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 they can't have wine until their first confirmation. They can't take communion. Yeah, yeah, details, details. Look, they're, they're Wiscopalians, and they don't really believe in their little Jesus. So when I was a kid, I was taught that Catholics were um, – they, they worshipped the baby Jesus, but they, they didn't worship the adult Jesus. Oh, yeah. No, I mean Catholics needed to be saved too. We have that yeah, in common. Uh, totally, totally, yeah. They're not real <laughs> persons. So anyway, I, I think this is fascinating. Okay, so – So did then, you, ever... you know, the big WWJD. Well, yeah, I mean that, that's a little bit later, but did you, okay? Let, let's go back to the the bracelet here. Did you ever save anyone in, in that sense? Yes, of course. So, so you you reached out to well, classmates no, or I friends. didn't save anybody. God is the only person who saves someone. Well, well, it depends. But did you <laughs> did you get them to come to your church? No. Based on the bracelet. No, not based on the bracelet specifically. That was just one tactic. There's many. Okay. There's many. But but that you, you were you were taught like, hey, th these are some tactics that you need to take into the the campaign of life. Into your schools because you are the people who can go into the schools. We as adults can't go into the schools. You have a specific calling to be God's light. Have you and you've seen you've shown me this documentary called Jesus Camp. Yeah, I was going to say. This is it. This is what I grew up in. Yeah. Okay. And and looking back, like, how does it make you feel? Um, That was a lot of pressure and, and, and anxiety to really put on teenagers, you know. So I was con... Okay, so I was a good Christian. I was a good member of this community of faith, so I actually tried this stuff. Apparently other people, you know, just like hung out with their friends. No, no, not me. I was the type that was looking for every opportunity to present the gospel to somebody because that's what we were told we were supposed to do. And so uh, I can remember distinctly about my junior year, the second semester of my junior year, maybe the first semester of my senior year where I was like, wait a second. Like, I've been completely inauthentic in all my relationships because I haven't really cared about what's going on with other people's lives because I've only been looking for these opportunities to save them. Not only that, but a lot of them are really active in their communities of faith. And so that's really judgmental of me to say, hey, my community of faith is better than yours. And we're true believers and you're not really. 
And so I started, yeah, it was probably my senior year. And I went to a small independent school, and so I was with the same people for 12 years. You know, so I was the person who didn't get invited to parties and different things. (laughs) Needless to say. Needless to say. because but, But really my whole social kind of life was tied up with people who went to this community of faith. And, and I started and, to realize, oh, wait, this was probably on purpose so that we wouldn't be drinking or partying or that our parents could kind of keep an eye on us. So as you went through high school, that was still kind of the case, right? Like you, you were in this community or, or did you branch out? Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, I was squarely in this community. Absolutely. Absolutely. So so it was college eventually that helped you branch out or? Yeah. I mean, I started to encounter not only people who went to Baptist churches who were not like my Baptist church, but I also encountered um, a community that had lots of different people, you know, international students, it, you know, religion professors who believed in the study of religion, but weren't confessional. Like, they didn't have any personal beliefs. And... Um, what else? And then I just encountered other people that I thought were really cool and they weren't Baptists. So I thought, oh, you know, maybe there are other people that are kind of good hearted people who believe in helping others. That maybe this whole evangelism thing can kind of go on the back burner. And also there was this really aggressive evangelical student group on campus and I didn't want to be one of them. They campus like, outreach? I wasn't going to say the name, but... <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have, we had those at, at Wofford as well. And yeah, have, so they had a discipleship know, model and, I mean, I was a bit full of myself. I am a bit full did, of myself. Did you go to campus outreach? Um, I went a couple of times, and then I asked why that person got to be the discipler, and I was the disciplee, and then I was not invited to come back. <laughs> the disciplee? Uh-huh. It was a discipleship model, and it was somebody who was just one year older than us, and I was like, well, what? why are you teaching us? Like, I already know this stuff. <laughs> so huh. um, I was pulled aside after the Bible study, and... Um, I can't remember, but I think I was supposed to have this follow-up meeting with these pers- this person, and I was like, mm, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. So then I went to, like, um, BSU, BCM, How was BSU? Ba- Baptist State Union for... Oh, it our, wasn't our BSU, sorry. It was um, Baptist Collegiate Ministries, which was, like, the transformation. It wasn't quite as conservative. They had females in leadership too. Huh. And I went no, to we SBA. had BSU. I, I never heard of what Baptist Collegiate Ministries? Uh huh. I've never heard of that. It's what BSU changed into. Oh, uh, okay. Because I went to school so much earlier than <laughs> you did. Yeah. Sorry. Like seven yeah. years. You know, a lot can change in seven years. <laughs> yeah. It happens. 9 11. Anyway, go ahead. What? Yeah, so I just really hopped from place to place because I didn't want to um I don't I think I didn't want to be too stringent about being in one group. So where'd you end up? Uh what, what floating religious... from place to place. <laughs> Did you, so you never settled like on like a a student religious group in nope. college? I was never huh. in leadership in any of them. Oh, I did. I did. You know what? I did initiate a like Worship service that involved all of the different groups. Okay, well, that's kind of major. How do you forget that? I didn't forget it. I just said it. <laughs> okay, well, tell us about it. Um, it was called Unite. Oh. And we had one di- one worship. And wait, then wait, we wait did... was was the U like um? Was it was it like a like different colors? On no, the U? but I think the I was an exclamation point upside down. So ah, you know. there we go, there we go. Yeah, okay. you got something like that. But uh, it was a worship experience, just one, just one thing where we had different leaders, different 
I guess you would call them proclaimers. But then we did a service project on campus, like to give back to the campus. And that's it? Like, Yeah, it was just a one-time experience. <laughs> you only and then did we, it once? Well, yeah, we only did that thing once, and then there was a group of us from all the different... So you know how the fraternities and sororities have the board that has... What's it called? Has all the different representatives from the different groups. Uh, Panhellenic? Yes. It was like that for the religious organizations on campus. Oh. Yeah, we had something like that, too. So, I, you know, I, I grew up Southern Baptist. I do know that. I do. But it, it <laughs> but was only Southern a fair, Baptist. But, you know, it seems like we should have more similar experiences than we do. I, I mean, I, I was an RA. But you boycotted Disney. I did not. I boycotted Disney. I was an RA. I, uh, I'd, I'd never seen a Disney movie until I started watching them with my my kids you know well until our oldest was five right yeah yeah (laughs) i was like wow you know this is a you know like a like a dumbo is a great movie pinocchio not so much no no what's the one that was so bad no peter Peter pan Pan. is the one that you had god that gives me nightmares are you serious right now how does the red man yeah anyway um (laughs) so yeah Mulan. you saw mulan you cried. I cried. Lion King, great movie. Milan, yeah. great movie. Moana. Anyway, yeah. So uh, I started off that way, and freshman year was I was kind of like that. Where else? Wait, what was, way? Like my way? You were trying to evangelize people, or no? God, no. No, I wasn't. Trying to, you know, but uh, I knew I had a calling. But I was studying chemistry, computer science, and I was going to be an astronomer. Or a scientist. You so know I mean? how did that go over with your community of faith who called you and commissioned you basically into the gospel ministry? And then you went to this liberal Methodist arts college. school they yeah, found... and Methodist college. There, there, was, there was a guy who had gone to Southside uh, Baptist Church in Spartanburg. Right. Which is a Southern Baptist church. Which and... is pre-approved, I'm sure. Yes, and he was a deacon there, and he had mo- they had moved to where I grew up, and they said, "Hey, you know, this is the church you should go to." And I was like, "Oh, oh okay. I had that too." Yeah, my um, my home church told me which churches to go to and which churches not to go to in college. Yeah, so I, I went there for a little while, and and I thought, I'm in college now. <laughs> like, <laughs> Wait a this second. Is, like I I don't really appreciate this because I, I I like the small. I like my Southern Baptist Church experience in small churches. Right, and, and because it, you, but you grew up in a Southern Baptist Church that or not ordained women, but you had women deacons. Yeah, we have. Yeah, and we ordained women deacons, and and you know we had 100, 150 people at most, you know, in Sunday school, because um, we we put the numbers on the board. And still today, I have many. I have a number of clients who are small Southern Baptist churches, just like that, and I love it. And I love that experience, you know, for, for better or for worse. And I, and I, I get the, I get the Trumpism. I get I get the under his eye, you know, leading us down the primrose path to uh, Handmaid's Tale. But there's something to be said about that in in a certain context, and I really appreciate that. What what I bristled against was going to that church in Spartanburg, or I had a good friend, also a freshman year, who took me to. Another church where there's a private school that's hosted at that church. Yeah, you know the church yeah, I'm talking yeah. about on the north side of town. Uh huh. <laughs> and I was like, "What the hell is this? Nope, this is nope, nope. nope, yeah." And and all of a sudden, I I didn't rebel, but my my best friend still. We we just sat dinner with them last last night, two nights ago. Two, two nights, nights ago. ago. Yeah. Two nights ago. Halloween. Um, <laughs> yeah, my. Best friend was my uh, college roommate for four years, and besides Thomas, sorry, not I, I, uh, my other best friend, my other other best friend, my college my best, other best friend. friend, yeah, my college best friend, my 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 brother, I will say it that way. Um, he uh, he he was Lutheran, and we always had these really interesting theological debates, and uh, we ended up kind of meeting in the middle, and we. He and I would get up on Sunday mornings and like go to go to a Lutheran church or go to an Episcopalian church or go to the Catholic church, and, and we took communion. Sorry, shh. 
<laughs> I, I appreciate the Eucharist. It wasn't the I, Eucharist. I, I, I still feel terrible, and I'm going to go to hell over that. But we've been purgatory. to Greek Orthodox churches. Yes. You're going to go to purgatory over that. All right, and we've been to Greek Orthodox churches in Greece and, and have taken the, the sacrament. I've taken the sacrament in, in St. Peter's. Um, but the idea of us uh, kind of like going through college and, and kind of going through that experience together was was really interesting because I would take him to BSU and then he would take me to Wesley uh, uh, group yeah, stuff. or RUF. Yeah, so we, we ended up both in the Methodist tradition. And I really like that that style of things. I'm not a Calvinist. He wasn't a Calvinist. We used to make fun of Calvinists. It was it was it was the time. You used now, to make fun of. <laughs> no, everybody. That's for you, McBacon. I'm looking out for you, man. It, see, no, everybody's a Calvinist, but I I ended up being like really impacted by the the Wesley Foundation group, and that's that that was kind of my my little pre ministerial society side of things. So I was head of the pre-ministerial, pre-ministerial society. As a chemistry uh, major and computer science. Well, by that time, I, I adapted religion. My, <laughs> I was a junior at that point. So I had moved on from chemistry, science, and computer, or, or computer science and chemistry over to religion. But I still had enough hours to get a, a minor in, in, in chemistry because, you know, science is pretty cool. But, um, yeah. I, I, I there, there's something about like Methodism that that's a nice not middle ground but it's interesting. Oh, you know? I was Methodist for a while. Yeah, no, I think it is. <laughs> but the interesting like putting thing. on Lularoe pants. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I wore some <laughs> Ralph Lauren for a while. Well, I was Episcopalian for a while too. Yeah, I mean, I think there's something about you had, you had a little Episcopalian inside of you. <laughs> well, I think it's funny because you know a lot of of kids go to college and like rebel by i don't know getting tattoos drinking smoking pot don't don't ask me i would know because my rebellion was going to an episcopalian church like that was a big deal getting up early on sunday morning and going to a different denomination <gasps> that was my college rebellion uh <laughs> so. yeah totally i mean that was mine and but you know what my my parents never Shame me for that. And oh, I was, that is not the case for me. I know, I know. My parents were always Especially really supportive. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, my parents were always very, very supportive. And they were like, yeah, sure, you know, go go Catholic, go do whatever you need to do. And I thought that was kind of fantastic. You yeah, know, that's kind of awesome of them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, my parents, like, you know, they're not, not the most open-minded people in the world, but they, they kind of are, and I've always uh, appreciated them for that level of not getting upset that I wasn't a Southern Baptist. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I can remember the first time that I went to a Baptist church that wasn't like the Baptist church I grew up in, and they had um, a processional, and they had people in robes, and like the preacher preached for at tops 20 minutes instead of 45 minutes, and I was like, this is not, I remember the people who took me, and I, I said, this is not a Baptist church, and they were like, yes, it is, it's the oldest Baptist church here, and I was like, no, this is not a Baptist church. Because I couldn't, in my realm of experience, understand that there were Baptist churches that were different than the Baptist church I grew up in. But that's one of the great things about congregational polity is that the articulation of worship and faith and different things in the Baptist church is not the same. You know, so if you talk about like, oh, so for instance, I just went to chapel at Lutheran Seminary and so... Um, they asked me to preach at chapel coming up and I am preaching during the chapel service that offers the Eucharist. And so I also am introducing or, uh, inviting people to the table and I was paying really close attention cause I was like, Oh wait, it matters what I say before the, you know, before the Eucharist is given. Like I've got to remember these things that they're saying because, you know, you get up there as a Baptist minister and you, the invitation isn't, it's similar, but it's not the same liturgy every time. <laughs> Do you remember the first time I gave uh, <laughs> communion? Tell communion the story, at, tell the story. This is awesome. So yeah, I gave communion at, at the, you know, your first church, 
because you were out one Sunday or something. And, yeah, I was uh, preaching somewhere else, and it was a service that had communion. And I came back the next Sunday, and the, the um, several several people from the congregation said, "Yeah, Sam was an awesome job preaching, and the way he did communion was interesting." And I was like, "What did you do?" And you did it the Methodist way, where the I minister- did about the I, I just you know because I, I memorized the the Methodist liturgy because I really loved that right at, at college, and uh, and you were a part of the weekly chapel service. Yeah, so uh, like last Sunday, you you didn't communion for our, our church right and uh, the whole time i'm thinking no no say like on the night he was betrayed he took bread and he broke it and he said this is my body given for you and for many and and, and likewise after supper he took the cup and after blessing it he said you know and, and you kind of did your your own little thing about it and i was like no there's don't say it there's like no that. way to do it and this is that, that's way. not the real that's not the real wait you know, who's communion. calvinist here I, no that's not calvinism but, yeah, I mean, community means so much to me. But, and that, I, I mean, but the, the key thing for the people of the, the first church that I pastored was that you took communion first. And the minister yeah. always takes communion last in the Baptist tradition. Well, or now I knew that. with the congregation. <laughs> I had this minister one time, uh, Barry, I forget his last name, at our, at our home church back where I grew up. And he... His wife played the organ, as, sure. as it is. Like a like a good preacher's it's not, it's not a, wife. Right, not a, not a euphemism. <laughs> and he he invited her up from his organ. No, from from the organ, and um, he he had her like stand beside him, and he gave her the the you know little piece of bread, like white bread that's cubed, like on her tongue. No, I don't know the white piece of bread that's cubed. You never had the white piece of bread that's cubed? No, we had the wafers. What are you talking about? Y'all had wafers? Yes, just like we had this past Sunday. Those are like croutons. No, like the like the little small – y'all never had like cubed white bread? No, dude. That's just uh, you. All right, so he, he gave it to her. She she ate it. And then he gave her the, the shot glass of, you know, Welch's or whatever. It makes you feel and, real good, that shot glass. <laughs> Jesus' blood. Heals and then they, he, he like inter, they like interlock their arms. Hmm? And uh, I'll, I'll demonstrate this later. <clears throat> and <laughs> <laughs> they took a shot together. What? And then he like, and then he like French kissed her. Like, no. In the church. Yeah, I swear to God. And I'm like 15. I'm like, all right, I don't want to look at this, but that's kind of weird. And I mean, th- they were younger. They they weren't like you know six year old people doing this. But it was like this weird, like, Church of Satan type thing. And I was like, is this going to turn into something else? Because I've seen this on Skinamax before. But <laughs> this is going to be interesting if this is the path that this takes. But yeah. So this is interesting because I've also preached recently at a UCC church. And they have a couple of different options. So you can take the wafer or you can take a piece of the bread. And you can take a small cup or you can dip it into a communal cup. But there's a lesbian couple who always, after they take communion, give each other a kiss on the lips. I it's, think that's great. It's not I, a French kiss. I'm not kiss. knocking that. I mean, I think that's beautiful. I'm saying, like, for for the pastor to, like, make out with his wife. Well, also to give his wife communion first before the whole congregation. That's interesting, too. Yeah. But in this UCC church, I thought the first time we went, I thought, well, that is beautiful. Just as you said, like that is worship and people are freely expressing themselves. But apparently there has been, you know, they've, that couple has encountered some criticism for it. And like, first of all, they're not French kissing. And second of all, like, what? No, Just no, this was like a full makeout. Like I was uncomfortable as a 15 year old, you like, know, and I, as a 15 year old uh... boy, like you're looking you know, you you see a piece of wood. And you're was like, she attractive? Oh man, I, I could totally like put my thing in that thing. You know, so <laughs> that's terrible. You can't say that. No, but I'm saying, you know, like as, as a kid, as as a 15 year old guy, like you're you're, you know, you, you take what you can get. Like you're you're walking through the woods trying to find used playboys. You know, so like to, to see your your, yeah, I mean they were youngish. You know, so you could anyway. have just said yes. You didn't have to go into all that detail. <laughs> Y'all never walked through the woods looking for porn? No, I can't say that I did. 
I know Thomas did. We have to talk uh, about that on the future show. Anyway, um, porn is bad. Hashtag. But uh, none of this has resolved the issue of the afterlife. You realize, like, we still haven't solved that. What? Okay, so first of all, mm. lesbian couple. That's that's sad. That's that's kind of. Isn't that terrible? Up. Isn't that terrible? Like they finally found a community of faith where they can re- worship freely, and they still are getting backlash. Yeah, it's like UCC. Come on. Or they have experience. I don't know if they are. That's probably not accurate. But anyways. But I thought the first time I was like, yes, thank goodness. Like two partners can go together no, and take I a communion freely. Especially for me who's been in a denom well, first of all, a Southern Baptist denomination who is not going to let people freely be lesbian or homosexual or LGBTQ. And then to be in a denomination that can't decide what it feels about it. Mm-hmm. So, so what do you think about the afterlife? Yeah, I think it's probably um, full of beer and Wiener schnitzel. It's probably going to be pretty good. That's all you got? No, I think there's not. I don't think that anything should ever hinge on one decision. I think it has to do a lot more with the little decisions that you make every day and how you interact with other people. And maybe that you don't try to convert them in your interactions, but you try to hear them and meet their needs if at all possible. What do you think the afterlife is like? Um, I don't know. I think this idea of a big, big house with a big, big table with lots and lots of food is um, false. Uh. I think it has a lot more to do with peace and wholeness than with stuff. You didn't hear those sermons about, like, you know, the mansion that's being built for you? You didn't hear those growing up? Twitter government. This is from the uh, Twitter. Hold on, what's the? Yeah, Twitter guff. Earlier today, at real Donald Trump's account was inadvertently deactivated due to human error by a Twitter employee. The account was down for 11 minutes and has since been restored. We're continuing to investigate and are taking steps to prevent this from happening again. I think heaven is like 11 minutes without Donald Trump being able to access Twitter. (laughs) Peace, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think that's, that's kind of a good first step. No, I mean, I've always, I've always, but I don't think the kingdom being, being a of God person. is. I don't think the kingdom of God is somewhere else. I think the kingdom of God is here on earth. Yeah, I preached about that at your do. church one Sunday, and that that went over like a lead balloon. It was great. A loof balloon, I think you mean. A, a ninety uh, seven balloon. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I. You know. If you read Matthew ten, it's pretty clear. <laughs> it's kingdom of heaven is is here and you know we're, we're doing our best um to bring that about but that there's no fluffy you know cloud-based infrastructure hosted by ibm or, or google or microsoft in the clouds that's going to support heaven and jesus was not i mean if if you actually read the gospels jesus was not trying to is prepared for the afterlife like we think of it today in our neo-egyptian sense of you know weighing our hearts against the feather but it was preparing us to get ready to enter the kingdom that was coming to earth at any moment <laughs> and then paul was like well it's it's not going to be any moment but it could be next tuesday and then by the time we get to second peter it's like well it's not going to be next tuesday but it could be next month and then by the time we get to you know, the second and third centuries, it's like, well, it's it, it's going to happen eventually. So it's this, you know, ongoing wrestling with the the eschatological. But, um, you know, we, we, we've lost sight of that because we're so far removed from the immediacy of the good place. You know, we're, we're so lost. Mm-hmm. We're, we're so lost from the kingdom ethics of, eschat, uh, of eschatology. Saying like, yeah. hey, it's going to happen. So get your shit together. Start being a good person. Or you're not going to make it into the kingdom of God. And this is how you become a good person. And the only way I can tell you how to become a good person is is through narrative and story and parable. Um, 
there's a reason parables pop up in, you know, the synoptics, but also, you know, in John. And it's not because it's easy to talk about the kingdom of God. So when people say, all, all you got to do is believe and you'll receive, like, no, that's, nope, that's, nope. that's not really that's how not it, it works. It's not easy. No one said it would be, you know, no one said it was easy, but no one said it would be so hard. To, to quote Coldplay. Yeah, Thank I've you, heard Thomas. that somewhere before. <laughs> yeah. Thomas is going to love that one. He doesn't listen to the show. Do you but... think he'll listen to this show? He doesn't listen to the show, but do you think he'll listen to this one? That that song's called The Scientist as well, which I love. Willie Nelson did a great cover. Yes, he did. Yeah. Anything else you got? Eh, I think that's probably it. You don't want to ask me anything? I've asked you all this stuff. Eh. I don't know. Right. I'm debating about my place in heaven now. I'm going to probably have to rededicate my life come, come Sunday. So. You can walk the aisle. I'll, I'll take you down the aisle. Appreciate that. That was one of the tactics, actually. Telling your friend you will go with them. Love you. That's it. <laughs> Bye.